Welcome to the long run cost section of microeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Elin coming to you from home to wherever you are. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the economic ride. So in the last section, we talked about short run costs, which are the ones that we're gonna see a lot more in the coming chapters, but we also wanna understand the whole idea of long run costs. So the whole idea here is when we're talking about the long run, we're talking about this planning horizon. We're talking about this period into the future. If we're able to plan things perfectly, how we could achieve the optimal size of the firm, the optimal amount of ovens, the optimal amount of everything that you need to produce. So you don't only change the amount of workers, but you also you can change anything. Everything is variable. But because we're talking about this as a planning horizon, it's not as if we can say, well, this is our situation in two years time. And in two years, you say, well, let's just change all the parameters. Everything's variable. Well, no, the long runs analysis is like looking at the horizon. You might want to walk towards the direction of the horizon and say, I'm going to get there. But when you get there, that is like where you are now. And the horizon has moved further down like uh, many kilometers away. It just keeps on pushing away and away and away. And it's the same thing that goes with this long run phase. It's the situation that you have absolute control on all your variable costs at a certain moment in the future. You don't have access to all of that right now. So, uh, and if you're that long in the future, you don't have access anymore. <clears throat> so the short run and the long run kind of mix in together. So in the long run, when you do that long run planning, you're just kind of trying to find what the demand will be in that period of time, how you will uh, cater to that demand by producing goods or services at the lowest possible cost. And then when you get there, well, you hope your estimates were right and that you've set up the business the right size. But obviously, if the sales were underestimated or overestimated, uh, well, probably you'll have to adjust and that might not have been the right decision to have taken in the past. Like you should have, if you overestimated, you should have actually had a smaller business and so on. Okay. So in the long run, we have this greater flexibility in production. So we say that because of this greater flexibility in production, we can produce in the long run any level of output as cheaply as the best firm size for that level of output. Meaning that let's say you wanted to produce on 100 uh, t-shirts a day, you could either have a factory of 1,000 square feet or a factory of 20,000 square feet. Well, obviously, 1,000 square feet is more than sufficient to producing that many t-shirts in a day. And therefore, it's going to be better to have that size versus the bigger size. That one's going to lead to a greater cost production per unit because you have so much overhead, so much heating, so much lease space that you have to pay for. So for each output size, there is that optimal quantity, that optimal size of the firm. And the long run average cost curve represents that exact point. So if you're to look at the U-shape of a long-run average total cost or long-run average cost are both used interchangeably because in the long run, there is no distinction between variable and fixed costs. They're all seen as costs. Well, that U-shape 
each dot on that U-shape can potentially represent a different size of firm. Therefore, if uh, you want to produce 100 t-shirts, maybe your optimal size is 500 square feet. You want to produce 110 t-shirts. Well, now it's 550 square feet and so on. So it represents a bunch of different sizes, a bunch of different amount of ovens, a bunch of different eh, everything. So that you have to understand that that long run average cost curve is an envelope of all the short run average cost curves because of that. It's impossible for you to have all of this flexibility on uh, the planning in the future and that you end up paying more per unit to produce those units than by just doing short run adjustments. So that kind of explains the shape of it, why it doesn't go through it uh, and so on. But then you want to understand, well, why is it a U-shape since we're no longer talking about specialization and diminishing marginal product labor because those are no longer as prevalent. And here we don't have diminishing marginal product of labor because we could always increase the firm size and the amount of uh, machines that we have access to. So these downward sloping segments, uh, the beginning of the U and the upward sloping at the end represent different things. The most obvious or the most common concept that you'll hear about, and I'm always surprised when I hear friends who don't have an ex economics background actually talking about this, but it's a, quite a common uh, theme that people mention, is the idea of economies of scale. It's this idea that if you reach a certain size, you're able to produce things a lot more cheaply, which allows you to have a lot cheaper costs and either make more profit or be able to charge a much lower price uh, per unit than your competitors and drive those competitors out, which is good for your profitability. So economies of scale is a situation where if you were to double all your inputs, you're more gonna more than double your output. Or another way to see it is, as you decide to produce more and more and more, your cost per unit is falling because you're becoming better and better at it. And this is very common in industries that have a lot of overhead. And you don't always have to think about like massive industries about this. You could think about smaller businesses uh, that are just like a, a sole proprietor. But it's a situation where you have to acquire a lot of things or there's a lot of fixed costs involved typically. So the big examples like the big industries would be like airline industries. Like the companies like Boeing and Airbus that produce airplanes, well, for them, there's a lot of technology involved. There's a lot of high-paid engineers and, and high-cost uh, uh, high equipment being purchased to produce those airplanes. But if they get like a contract to produce 50 airplanes or to produce 100 airplanes, a lot of those casting machines are already there. Uh, a lot of the technology and the research remains. It doesn't have to be like doubled in terms of cost. So they're able to double production by increasing cost by just a small amount. Therefore, their cost per plane falls dramatically as they're able to attract more sales. So that's a clear example of economies of scale. But also if you're any kind of business who needs to buy a truck and some specialized equipment to uh, producing uh, your service, like a friend of mine who's gonna become an arborist, well, in that case, uh, if you have like just a few contracts or you get a lot, well, you're able to spread the cost of that chainsaw and everything else on multiple contracts, 
which makes it a lot more lucrative for you. So economies of scale is that concept and that is the first part of the, the U. And the flat part afterwards is a situation where you have constant returns to scale, which means that if you were to produce more, your cost wouldn't change per unit. Doesn't mean that your total cost wouldn't change. Obviously, if you're producing twice the amount, it's normal that it's costing you twice the amount to produce, but you also have twice the revenue. But here I'm talking about cost per unit. The cost per unit does not change. Therefore, you do not gain any advantage from growing in this case. So an example I give for this is, let's say you have a subway in Lenoxville and you decide to open up a second subway in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Well, the distance is far enough that you can't really just have one manager managing both. You're, you might be able to do both and you may be able to split expertise so you'll be able to gain a little bit of an advantage but then it's not as if the two were located nearby so you could save on shipping costs of food and other things, save on uh, like marketing of your business in terms of ads and leaflets and everything else that you're going to send out. So for you to open up a second one and let's say you have the same amount of sales as you would have in Lenoxville, well, in that case, uh, you have these two locations, but you have twice the amount of workers, you have twice the amount of managers, twice everything. So your costs are pretty much twice to be able to sell twice the amount of subs. So in that case, uh, your cost per unit hasn't changed. So that's a situation of constant returns to scale. And um, there's other industries that have that and even that airplane industry or anything else, at some point, if you produce more and more and more, you might reach that situation of constant returns to scale. Less likely in a situation where you have very high overhead costs, but in certain situations where you're able to kind of like just expand a little bit your restaurant and get a little bit more employees, well, if the extra costs involved in that it just takes into account this, the extra units, well, then that doesn't mean that you're gaining from that situation. And last but not least, the decreasing returns to scale segment is an undesirable situation to get to. And that's the situation where businesses just get too big and too kind of diverse that they're not really gaining much from it. So if you had a business who was dealing with many, many different industries and um, with, through all those inter, uh, industries, the managers are ha having a difficulty coping with all the industries and uh, they're making poor decisions uh, because they have just too much things to manage. There's just, uh, just too much going on. And in that case, it might be better off to kind of split the business into different kind of businesses and that they'll become more efficient all of a sudden and they'll be able to reduce their costs. So just think of a business that produces and sells too many things. And then if you could kind of split it up and say, well, like uh, Bombardier and BRP, like you guys will take care of airplanes and trains and we'll take care of like uh, skidoos and uh, sidoos and everything else. Well, that might make financial sense. It might be a situation where just it's we're just better off by being split up. I remember when I was on the board of directors of the Canadian Association of Snowboard Instructors, that first year, that first meeting I had being a board member, uh, we decided to split with the, the ski association. Because even though we're two different certifying bodies, we were commonly managed uh, for insurances and uh, website and other things like that under the same roof. 
and we realized that the, the fee that they were charging us to offer these services was way beyond what we could manage if we were to do it on our own. So it actually made better financial sense to split up and uh, it reduced our costs. Not sure what it did to their costs and their revenues, but for us, it made way more sense to be separate. So that's a situation that can happen, but it's not a desirable situation. So often when something like this occurs, you'll see businesses start to split up and try to get to a more manageable size. So overall, long run costs. Something that's gonna be mentioned a lot and uh, at least perfect competition, monopolistic competition is uh, we're going to talk about the transition over time. If you have an industry that's making a lot of money, what's going to transition over time? And with that transition over time, sometimes you'll see the word long run and you'll think, well, oh, I have to write a, I have to draw a long run curve. Well, just to give you guys a hint, typically speaking in all of that anal analysis, we're going to be talking about like the short run cost curves. The long run cost curves to me in this class, they're kind of seen as a separate entity. They're not so much what happens on day-to-day -day decisions. But at the end of the day, it's still interesting to cover because it helps you understand that if you're gonna start a business, maybe it makes sense to start it only if you could get to a certain size. Otherwise, it's gonna be really hard to be profitable. I remember speaking with uh, the people who have uh, the climbing center in Sherbrooke, the first one, Vertige, which opened, but now there's a few around. And um, what they mentioned to me was that just their insurance cost was 10000 a year. And if you think about that, and, and that insurance cost was just to op operate the gym. And so even if they wanted to open up like a gym and just be open a few days a week and uh, not have that many members, well, if you have such a high cost to operate, it doesn't make sense for you to operate if you're not able to guarantee that you'll have a certain amount of members and a certain amount of people coming to the gym. So it doesn't really make any financial sense to, for you to be operating this part-time. So you have to get a certain size for it to make sense. So there's industries like that as well. And for myself, like I do avalanche courses, and if I want to run them on my own, I need to buy an insurance. So if I'm only going to run one course a year and I have to pay like $600 of insurance, a lot of the revenues I get from that one course go to that insurance. But if I could run like 10 different groups and still only pay $600, well, all of a sudden it makes more sense. So that's me enjoying some level of economies of scale, spreading that overhead on more people, and it just then makes more sense. So keep that in mind. If you're going to start a business, what kind of size do you need to achieve to make it easy to gain a bit of profit in the process? And if you're not ready to work those hours or to get to that size, well, you probably shouldn't enter that industry. And that's it for me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next video or audio lecture, we're going to start talking about all the market structures. Catch you then.